2020. It was uh, an enjoyable month in December to spend in Psalm 119, and I think we're still going to look at one more section of that, or one one a few passages on Sunday from that, and and then we will really be finished with it as far as uh, for this season. But we're going to move on to Psalm 120 tonight, and as we look at Psalm 20. Uh, we're, we're moving into uh, really a new collection of, of psalms. And so I'm just going to read it. You'll notice that um, for the next 15 psalms or so, uh, they're all fairly short if you've looked through there. Um, and so they're, they've got some similarities. They're grouped together for a reason, and we're going to talk about that. But let's read Psalm 120 first. Uh, it says, Psalm 120, a song of degrees. Verse 1, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and He heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee? Or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I sojourn in Mesek and dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So we, we move into Psalm 120. It's, there's a grouping and you can see it in your, in your Bibles. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. Um, the, the little subscript up there, a song of, de- uh, degrees is is um, is present in in each of those psalms. It's 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 commonly known as the the songs of ascent, the songs of ascents. Um, uh, same word as far as degrees go. The word just means to step. Um, and you can read, and uh, people have all kinds of different ideas about what exactly this referred to. There's three or four common ideas as to why they were called this, but nobody really knows uh, for sure. They could also be called, and this is just along with the, 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 the meaning of the word, the, the songs of going up. So ascents, uh, degrees, steps. It's, uh, it's songs of goings up. And so some people think maybe these were the songs that they sang whenever they um, came back up uh, from Babylon to Jerusalem. Um, some people think there are 15 of these. There were 15 steps going from uh, moving uh, up to the uh, the temple that maybe they sang one per step. There's no, uh, the only real correlation is 15 to 15. So the arguments there aren't very strong. Whatever it is that this is meant to um, communicate, these are pilgrim songs, and it's also likely, this is one of the arguments, maybe one of the better ones, that, that men and women sang these songs as they made their way up to the temple feast. There were three temple feasts in the year where people would go to Jerusalem to, um, uh, to celebrate. And so uh, these were songs, whether it was from the exile or whether it was moving up the steps or maybe it was going from home to these temple feasts. These were pilgrim songs that they would sing as they were headed to uh, worship the Lord. Much like the song we sing 
Uh, last, we're marching to Zion, right? Come we that love the Lord. We're marching to Zion. We're marching to Zion, the beautiful city of God. These psalms are, are really written with the same kind of intent that, um, that that song was written. They're, they're pilgrim kinds of songs. We're traveling. We're sojourning. Um, first Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two lays this, uh, uh, this theme out for us. First Peter chapter two, uh, verse eleven and twelve. Peter says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation or your manner of life honest among the Gentiles, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he makes this appeal to them to live holy lives, and he makes it on the basis uh, of this fact that they are strangers and Pilgrims. This is not their home. They're just passing through. They're sojourners. And so what this present world has to offer is not for them. So as we, uh, as we think about Psalm 120 in particular tonight as being a, uh, a pilgrim's song, song of ascent, I want to, I want us to think about, uh, four realities, uh, because it's, it was true of them, brothers and sisters, it is true of us. Uh, we are pilgrims in this world, and we're passing through. This is not our home. This world was not created to be our, uh, uh the ultimate fulfillment, uh, for us. We were not meant to settle down here. We're passing through headed to a heavenly home. That's where our hope lies. So four realities that we find in this psalm that kind of helps us as we, uh, as we think about that reality. Number one, out of verse one, we are pilgrims in a world full of distress. Okay? We are pilgrims in a world full of distress. Psalm 120, verse 1, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and He heard me. Now this is a word that we looked at not too long ago. Distress just means, it's a, it's a pretty broad word. Affliction, anguish, adversity, adversary, tribulation, trouble. We said metaphorically it's a tight place. Okay, It's, it's one of those... One of those uh, Troubles, trials, adversities that you find yourself in where your whole world just kind of shrinks down to whatever that is. Well, we're pilgrims in a world full of these kinds of things. Uh, we face adversities on every level. We face physical, we face adversities with our physical health. We've seen our fair share of that as a, as a congregation in 2023. We face adversities at work. We face adversities at home. And by that, that's both in the sense of adversities in our 
physical dwelling place. You know, you bust a pipe and all of a sudden your world shrinks down to that little pipe, doesn't it? It's hard to think about much else. And our families, we face adversity in our relationships and in our families. We face adversity in our own hearts and souls, just like what Peter was uh, encouraging the saints there uh, to let their conversation be pure, to abstain from fleshly lust. We face adversity in our churches. Uh, Young folks, you face adversity in your schools. We face adversities in our counties, in our cities, in our states, in our regions, and in, in, in our, at a national level. And, and so as pilgrims who are living in a world that we're just passing through, this is kind of a 1 Corinthians 10.13 kind of common to man temptation, but brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is full of distress, and that's par for the course for pilgrims who are just passing through. The question for us is never, will I face adversities and distress? Um, First Peter uh, chapter 4, Peter tells those that he's writing to in verse 12, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Okay, the fiery trials come. I mean, the, the reality is we're either coming out of one, right? we're in one, or we're going into one. Okay, those are really our three options in a fallen world. It's, it's normal to hurt. It's normal to experience adversities and distresses. And and we could name a whole lot more as far as just the sources and the areas where we face those. But the fact that we're pilgrims in a world full of distress, we just said the question is not will I face it, but the question is where will I turn when I face it? Where am I going to turn when I face distress? When adversity comes, when anguish comes, when tribulation and trouble comes, when I find myself in that tight place, where am I going to turn? And the psalmist here, as we begin these psalms of ascent, says, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord and He heard me. You see, as pilgrims who are just passing through, we're going to be tempted to look to anything and everything as a refuge in times of trouble. But Psalm 46.1 says that God is our refuge in times of trouble. He is a present help in time of need. One of the, one of the temptations we have as pilgrims is placing our hopes in all the wrong places. In, in our distresses, being surprised or caught off guard and then running to various false refuges. On on the flip side of that, or on the other end of that, in Psalm 34, uh, verse 4, David says that he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his fears. He also says in verse 6 that he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. 
Now, we don't know the timing of all this stuff. We don't even know how God delivered David out of all of this. But what we do know is that when you cry out to God in your distress, He hears you and He's for you. So point number one, we are pilgrims in a world full of distress. You cannot avoid that. That is a normal part of pilgrim life. Point number two, out of verses two through four, he says, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee? Or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. So, point number two here. We are pilgrims in a world full of lies and liars. We're pilgrims in a world full of lies and liars. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. You remember how sin entered into the world, don't you? Eve believed a lie. Right? I mean, the, the first temptation was Satan coming along and just subtly asking, has God really said? Or flat out contradicting God and you're not going to really die. You can eat that. You can cross the line that God has laid in front of you and there will be no consequences. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, there's a description here uh, that I think is, is helpful. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, as we think about the world that we live in, um, he says, and I guess I should start in verse 1, you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then verse 2 gives a description where in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So he says, in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, the world that we're, we're passing through, the world that you have been placed in for your pilgrimage. And then, in a parallel way, he says, it's uh, according, you had your walk, your life, your manner of life, according to the prince of the power of the air. He's referring to Satan there. Uh, the world that we live in is under the deceptive influence, blinding influence. But again, primarily, I say again, primarily it's, it's not, um, uh, it's not the kind of Influence that we think about when we think about um, movies that depict demonic activity. Demonic activity is 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 not geared toward trying to spook or scare you. Demonic activity is trying to deceive you. It's trying to tempt you to draw you in uh, to alter your manner of life so that you begin to walk with and operate out of a heart. Um, that is consumed with the influence of this world. So John chapter 8, 
John chapter 8, as Jesus is uh, speaking truth and that truth is being rejected, he says in verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? John eight forty three. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. So this walking according to the prince of the power of the air, it's really Jesus is describing that here in the sense of you can't embrace this because you are of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning, the father of it. And because I speak truth, you reject me. You do not believe me. Well, brothers and sisters, when Jesus is speaking here in John chapter 8, um, verses 43 through 45, he's not talking about some unique little corner of the world. He's talking about those who are under the influence of the world system that we live in. He's talking about those who are really he's talking about every single soul that has not been made alive in Christ, walking in darkness groping in darkness. We, we're pilgrims in a world that's full of lies and liars. Sometimes we're surprised by that, aren't we? How could it be that those who have such influence in a public setting, whether that be political or anything else, could be so dishonest? Well, Psalm 120 tells us we're pilgrims here. We're, we're heading to a place that's not like this, but we're not there yet. And for those who aren't marching or walking or sojourning with us, we're fools if we expect anything else. This is their home. This is where their hopes are tied up. And they are of their father, who is the father of lies. Now, the question is, and this is what he addresses at the, in the second part here, verses three through four, uh, what will happen to these liars, to these haters of the truth? He asks the question this way in verse 3 of Psalm 120. What shall be given unto thee? Or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? And then he answers his question this way. Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Well, we have to remember that the Psalms are poetic language, right? So he's using poetic language to... Uh, um, to convey a concrete reality here. Proverbs 19.5 says it this way, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. What happens to these liars who persecute, cause distress for the pilgrims and sojourners of this world? Well, one day they meet their end. 
It's uh, what has been uh, referred to as deferred justice. Deferred justice. Justice deferred. Okay. They seem like they're getting away with it now. Nothing seems to be happening. They tell lie upon lie upon lie upon lie. But Revelation 21.8 tells us of a time where all those lies come to an end and all liars will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's, the, that's kind of the imagery here, the sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. What will happen to them? Well, they will fall into the hands of God one day. While they have caused distress for us, they have primarily sinned against Him. They've lived a life that has ignored His glory, His rule, and His reign. So, as pilgrims, we live in a world that is full of distress. Secondly, we live in a world as pilgrims that is full of lies and liars. Number three, look at verse five. Woe is me that I sojourn in Messick, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. What's the relevance of this? Well, both of these areas that he's referring to are areas that were uh, populated, inhabited um, primarily with what we would call the heathen, the barbarians, the ungodly. Um, What's the point? Well, the, the point here is that we're pilgrims in a world that is far from home. You know, Ripley, Mississippi is a pretty safe place to live. I mean, I'll take it over Seattle any day. But we're still far from home. You find, you find the most sheltered place you can think of. The most Mayberry-like place that you could find. Brothers and sisters, we're far from home. Um, we are not where we will be. And so that it causes a longing. There's a sense in which it causes a, a holy discontentment. Not a discontentment in the sense of I want more, uh, more of what I don't have that God hasn't given me, um, but a discontentment of uh, I long to be rid of these struggles. I long to be rid of these trials. I long not to face the same ungodliness day after day after day after day. He says, woe is me because I sojourn. I I make my pilgrimage in these places. You you know the old hymn, this world is not my home. Let me read a few lines from them. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? This really is the song of a sojourner. I mean, you can resonate with that, can't you? I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I don't care who wins the 2024 election. I can't feel at home in this world. I might be happier over one than the other. That doesn't solve everything. Um, my treasure does not lie here. As, as, much of, as, as much of a blessing as it is to be able to enjoy the, 
the, uh, the first fruits, as it were, of our inheritance as we gather together here, as we fellowship with one another, as we worship with one another, and just enjoy the blessings of God here and with our families. It's not my home. Hebrews chapter 11 would articulate that. Hebrews chapter 11, commonly called the Hall of Faith, or the... the uh, Hall of Faith of the, of the Faithful here. Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 13, speaking of the individuals mentioned, he says, Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath, repaired, he hath prepared for them a city. So again, this captures that holy discontentment. They, they desire a better country. One that God has prepared for them. And so, brothers and sisters, we are pilgrims in a world that is far from home. And then number four, out of Psalm 120, verses 6 and 7, My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So we said we are pilgrims in a world full of distress. We're pilgrims in a world full of lies and liars. We're pilgrims in a world that is far from home. And then last, we are pilgrims in a world that is at war with us. We're pilgrims in a world that is at war with us. That is, at war with the followers of the Lamb. Think about this as it's articulated in the New Testament. Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 7, says that the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. What does that mean? Well, brothers and sisters, if you're seeking to follow the Lord, if you're seeking to live upon the Word of God, the carnal mind is at enmity. That means that literally at war with. Okay? You're in a world full of people whose minds, hearts, souls are at war with God and His law. And it can't be anything but at war with God and His law, and you could by extension say those who love and follow God and seek to keep His law, you can't help but be at war. Or at least the object of war with the carnal mind. 
Jesus would, would make the connection in John chapter 15 this way. Now, now remember, the, get the wording right. We're pilgrims in a world that, that is at war with us. We are not pilgrims who are at war with the world in that sense. Notice in John 15. Now, you are at war with the world system, but we're talking about people here. John 15. In verse 18, Jesus says, John 15, verse 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. All these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So Jesus says, they hate you. Well, just remember, they hated me first. And and the, the servant is not greater than his master. If they hated our master, they're going to hate us as well. And I mean, it's 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 fairly obvious, isn't it? Whenever you look at the at the world system, I mean, the cry of our culture is tolerance, tolerance, tolerance until it comes to anything biblical. Until it comes to anything concerning Jesus Christ, any sort of exclusive claim about Christ is not tolerated. It's tolerance, 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 except for Christians. That will not be tolerated. We will tolerate you identifying as a dragon. But you better not publicly identify as a Christian and stand for the principles that Christ stands for, because then there'll be consequences. And we say... Can you believe what the world's come to? Well, of course we can. Christ said, why are you surprised about that? They hated me. What makes you think they won't hate you? There's a little bit of conviction here in the sense of if we're busy trying to get the world to love us when Christ said it's going to hate us, we need to scratch our heads and wonder what kind of pilgrims are we being? Now, we are called as much as lies within us, as we'll see in a minute, to be at peace with all men. But we are not the world's puppet. Okay? The world does not dictate what we stand for, what we believe, how we, how we live in light of our calling. Uh, John 17, verse 14, Jesus says this again as he's praying to the Father, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Again, Jesus is really just saying we are pilgrims in a world that is at war with us. And then Romans chapter 12.
Romans chapter 12. How do you respond to a world that is at war with you? Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Well, we could, we could even back up. Verse 17. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, in a world that is at war against us, it's pretty uh, easy and, and even natural for us to do the opposite of what we just read, isn't it? We have to remember that we are pilgrims passing through part of a heavenly kingdom and the king of that kingdom will take care of the problems, the distresses, the unfair treatment, the difficulties. He will take care of our enemies in that sense. And so, as we launch into these songs of ascent, we're going to see that most of these in this collection from Psalm 120 to 134 uh, have a pattern. Uh, and really it's uh, a pattern you can see in Psalm 120, 121, 122. So it's usually in threes where we find the distresses, then we find where the help comes from, then we find the gladness. Um, but... By and large, brothers and sisters, the Ascent Psalms are the Psalms that describe the world that you and I live in. It is not a world full of health, wealth, and prosperity. It's a world full of distresses. It's a world that is at war with you. And it is a world where you have to regularly turn to God as a refuge in your time of need. Let's pray. Father, uh, we again, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You speak so relevantly into our lives and into the world that we live in. And so I pray You would bless us as we uh, think about what it means to be a pilgrim um, passing through this world as it relates to our expectations, as it relates to our roles and responsibilities. Um, I pray that You would... Uh, Bless us to walk with you through the difficulties, um, the challenges, uh, the unfairness. And I pray that we would also trust in uh, your mercies and your justice that will one day be executed. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.